what works and what doesn't. Understanding what works. What works for me. Understanding your own business to know what works. What works for you. This is What Works. Years ago, I was the trainer at the Borders Books and Music I worked at. Now, it probably won't surprise you that I loved this role. I pored over the training manuals. I thought about better systems for acclimating a new bookseller to a store with some 90,000 titles. I took seriously my job to communicate company policy, as well as the special privilege of working for a company with a mission and values like ours. Now, you can imagine me putting air quotes around special privilege. Understandably, I couldn't remember the company's mission and values now, so I looked them up and I found them on an old Blogspot blog from around the time I was reciting them to my trainees in the fluorescent lit break room. Ready for this inspiring list? As of 2005, the values for Borders Group Inc. were leadership, results orientation, respect, people development, a positive workplace, and customer service. Yeah, nothing really innovative there. You could probably look in the training manual for most mass retailers and find something remarkably similar. That's the thing about company values, right? They seem to be there to sound good, to tell trainees that the company cares about more than profit. We roll our eyes or tune out completely. In practice, these values mean nothing. They mean nothing because they are rarely operationalized in any kind of meaningful way. When Borders said they valued respect, how does that translate to the daily work of the average bookseller or warehouse employee? And who or what is doing the respecting? My fellow booksellers and I respected each other. For the most part, it was a great group of people to work with. But did I feel respected by corporate? Rarely. And that's not to say that I don't believe any large corporation is capable of operationalizing their values. Patagonia, for instance, has a set of values that is designed to impact its decisions as a company and the daily work of employees. Patagonia's values are more like directives. Build the best product, cause no unnecessary harm, use business to protect nature, and not bound by convention. Damn. That's good. I can imagine sitting in a meeting about product development or warehouse operations or marketing and actually using those directives to guide both strategic direction and execution. And essentially, that's what I mean when I talk about operationalizing your values. It's taking what you say is important to you and your company and turning it into material decisions, procedures, and ways of working. It's finding ways to get creative with the way things are done so that the way you're actually doing things reflects what matters to you. I think this is of unique concern to small business owners because we have incredible potential for doing things differently and so often just don't. I'm Tara McMullen, and this is What Works, the show that makes business make sense without the shoulds and supposed tos. 
Lately, I've been thinking about how much we take existing systems and ways of working for granted, and then find ways to operate within those conventions to make us feel like we're honoring our values, instead of getting clear on what actually honoring our values looks like, and then deciding whether we can participate in existing systems and ways of working, or whether we need to create something altogether new. And that's where today's conversation with coach, podcaster, and writer Mara Glatzel begins. Mara is the host of Needy, the creator of Tend, and the kind of person I naturally think of when I think about operationalizing values. But what you'll hear Mara tell me first is that a while back, she realized that the kind of life and work she wanted for her clients wasn't the kind of life and work she had structured for herself. Now, that's easy to understand since Mara's values and the values her business is built on run counter to the values of capitalism and workism. And what I'd love for you to think about as you listen to this important conversation is what you take for granted as you build your business. What assumptions do you bring with you? What shoulds and supposed tos get in the way of fully realizing and operationalizing your business's values? Mara and I unpack how she did that for herself and what's come out of the process. And I think you'll find the conversation a creative jumpstart for considering how you could do things differently too. Now, let's find out what works for Mara Glatzel. Mara Glatzel, welcome to What Works. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me. This is so fun. I love your podcast. Oh, thank you. <laughs> so this month, we've been talking all about operationalizing our values. So I think the, the first question we need to start off with is, how would you describe the values that your business is built on? It took me a long time to realize that what I wanted for my clients as a coach, um, I was not offering to myself as mm-hmm. a practitioner. And, you know, I was a couple of years into my business and I was realizing how burnt out I was, how unsustainable it was, how, you know, I wasn't prioritizing my own needs, even though I support people in doing that. And at that point, I really had to spend some time articulating for myself what sustainability, care, right timing, um, cyclical rhythms, all of those things that I work really hard and believe in were both missing from my business and how I could bring them back in. And I'd say that my number one value is human first. You know, I, I endeavor to allow myself to be the human that I am, even though that's really hard for me. You know, I do the same for all of the people who work for me. But that piece that, you know, being a human is really inconvenient a lot of the time and uh, frustrating and humbling and vulnerable. And there has to be space for all of that in order for my business to be a good fit for me. And also, you know, for me to feel like I am really standing in my own leadership um, as I lead my team. Mm. Let's talk more about human first, because this is certainly a value that we both share. um, And also one that I think, for me, 
Uh, it's kind of one that I'm still trying to figure out. What does this mean in my business? How do I, like, what are the decisions that I'm actually going to make that are human first? So uh, talk to me about what you mean specifically by human first and what are some of the structural or operational pieces that you've implemented for yourself and for your business that sort of exemplify that human first approach? Yeah, so I'll start kind of... uh macro and then move down to the micro. So on a macro level, it means knowing and honoring my personal energy rhythms and capacity as it moves over the course of the year. And it took me a while to really soften into the idea that I had uh, these um, energy cycles because, you know, I, I was raised and with this belief that I'm supposed to be operating at this perfect, you know, super high level every single day, you know, holding myself to a standard that was blatantly impossible to reach. And that that's what was doing, like, that's when I was doing a good job. Mm-hmm. And as I, you know, was a couple of years into my entrepreneurial journey, I realized that I, that's just not true for my energy. I, you know, there are two distinct peaks of energy for me. One is in the spring season around May and the other is in the fall about now. And during those times, I have a really robust capacity, both for launching things, for, you know, just the tolerance of, um, the, the, visibility that comes with launching, being on, you know, being on social media, being on, Mm -hmm. period, Uh, being really responsive to comments, to emails, um, you know, just more externally facing energy. And during the summer, my energy is pretty good, but the energy of my audience tends to be pretty tuned out. And then in the winter, the energy of my audience is stellar, but my own energy is pretty tuned out. So as I started to really just kind of ground into my relationship with myself and also get to know the people that I was working with in a better way, um, I was able to position my business and my offerings in such a way that I could capture that robust capacity time and make the Mm -hmm. most out of it and take some space when I needed and wanted to take space. So that's kind of like the top level down look at how it works over the course Mm -hmm. of the year. And that's always shifting. You know, as we were talking about before we got one live on the call, Mm -hmm. I have two young kids who are five and two. I was simultaneously running the biggest launch of my year while also getting them ready to go to school, which, you know, it was fine, but it made me realize, oh, wow, okay, I don't want to be launching while I'm trying to do this. I want to be able to, you know, spend more time with them or, you know, just have space for all of the feelings that come up for myself and for them. And so, you know, making a mental note for next year, next year, this whole um, paradigm is going to need to shift a little bit. So that there's space for that. So, you know, being human first is also always about being with myself in the moment and um, being responsive to my needs while thinking about that, like, overarching business strategy. Because having that strategy in place is one of the major ways that I take care of myself and my business on the whole. And then I think the microcosm of that 
you know, looks like thinking about what I need each day first before I look at what my business needs from me. And I think about this from the perspective of, you know, what do I require in order to make good on the commitments, largely the commitments that I've made to myself, mm-hmm. but, you know, are they're no less important to me. Um, but I'm always thinking about that. You know, my, I have, I'm very ambitious. I, you know, I thought for a long time, you know, is it capitalism or is it my ambition? And I am a very ambitious person. Uh, and in order to produce in the way that I like to, I need to make a tandem commitment to my own energetic capacity and need to prioritize my energy on a daily basis. Hmm. That's really beautiful. Um, I also I loved the bit when you said you have to be with yourself in the moment while also having the business strategy in place. Um, that's you're really speaking my language now. So thank you. <laughs> Um, but I'm curious about, uh, you know, you mentioned sort of these internalized voices, these internalized expectations that come with us through traditional education, capitalism, all of the systems that we operate in that create these these immense influences on how we perceive uh, what we're supposed to be doing, when we're supposed to be doing it, how on we're supposed to be. I'd love to hear how you sort of started to unpack those messages from your personal values and how you really wanted to be showing up in the world. Yeah, such a good question. So, you know, I think it is a journey and it's going to look, there are going to be similarities for many of us and also differences depending on, you know, what I find in my work is largely a family of origins work like legacy around work ethic, because that is Mm -hmm. so impactful. I come from a lot of entrepreneurs. I come from parents who did not ever check my homework, care. I was like, I'm on the honor roll. They were like, okay, cool, whatever. (laughs) Great. (laughs) I mean, you know, they care, but they just, they weren't, they weren't pushing me towards anything ever. And, and yet I really grew to have this very intense perfectionistic streak where, you know, everything needs to be done perfectly and yesterday and what was right and good and, you know, expected for an adult was to muscle through and put my experience and my needs and my joy and everything else to the end of this, you know, ever mounting to do list. And I I was on that <laughs> conveyor belt for quite some time. And when I began the process of unlearning those things that helped me, I mean, I, you know, it was great. It was socially validated. I did a lot of good work. You know, people loved that. I did everything, you know, very responsible, but it felt like I was holding my breath the whole time. And I could feel, you know, I reached a point of very serious burnout. I, you know, my adrenals, my just everything in my body was unable to continue at that pace, continue just completely ignoring myself for the sake of doing a good job and and getting everything done. And as I began unlearning some of those belief systems and, you know, the way that uh, that perfectionism 
which, you know, of course, is capitalism and also white supremacy braids mm-hmm. itself into our individual experience of what is right and good and what's expected of us. I I thought maybe that I was wouldn't have any ambition left. You know, I thought that mm-hmm. a lot of my drive was artificial. And I was, you know, prepared to grieve that because, you know, I love to pour myself a cup of coffee and dive in and I wanted to do a lot. And so as I, as I started on learning those, those pieces, and of course, that's a work in progress, I realized the two places that I needed to be particularly careful were first in my timelines and second in my expectation of what a good product looked like. In those two places, I was unnecessarily harming myself by, you know, forcing myself to work harder than I was able, sustainably able. Mm -hmm. And two, to wait until something was perfect until it was released. And when I was able to kind of get, get deeper into those two areas, I was able to honor my ambition in a really different way. Mm. Because it's like, okay, well, you know, I'm always asking myself, I do my, write my to-do list for the week. And I'm like, is that, like, can a real live human actually do this list? Or, you know, these are the things that have to get done before whatever the end of the month or next month. Can a real live human actually accomplish that? That real live human being me. Or more often these days, it's like, I have this one commitment what else do I have space for, if anything? You know, I'm currently, I got a book deal in the spring with Sounds True, and I'm currently writing a book for them. My first draft is due in February. And even though I have most of that manuscript written, the energy that it go, that goes into supporting my self-belief during this time that's really tender, where I'm like, mm-hmm. I can do it. It's okay. I'm going to, I am, I am doing it. It's going to be all right. And that that matters too, right? It's not just about the the product that we hand over. We also spend a lot of energy in that's you know surrounding our our creative pursuits. And so, you know, when I think about my timelines, when I think about you know what is reasonable for an end product, I try to incorporate as many of those other aspects as well. It's like how I feel while I'm doing it matters. You know, I hired myself a book coach at this, you know, like, I just need people around me to say, hey, you're not alone. We're talking it through, you know, you're doing a great job. That's what I need in order to enjoy the experience of doing that work. And so I think that, you know, as we unlearn some of the toxic messaging, and particularly about productivity culture that we are conditioned with, we start to learn more about ourselves and what we need in order to do our best work and best is relative, but also to enjoy the process of doing that work, which I'm really interested in. Mm. I love everything you just said. I'm going to be thinking about the energy devoted to self-belief for a very long time. <laughs> so I appreciate that phrase immensely. Um, it really, it, It's really speaking to me exactly where I am right now. You'll find out how Mara's values have influenced the way she develops programs and works with clients in just a minute. But first, a word from our What Works partners. This episode of What Works is brought to you by Mighty Networks. 
Small businesses run on community. We buy from businesses that connect us to each other, our neighborhoods, and ourselves. It's the feeling you get when you walk down Main Street or gather at the park for an event. And the same is true online. Today's digital small businesses run on the incredible power of communities coming together across thousands of miles. Mighty Networks gives you a potent tool for bringing your digital community together. Host events, offer courses, curate resources, and connect members to each other. Find out how Mighty Networks can power your community-based business at MightyNetworks.com. If you appreciate the in-depth conversations and outside-the-box business topics we talk about here on the show, you'll also love our newsletter, What Works Weekly. Each week, I share an article about business at the intersection of leadership, power, and culture. Plus, I also share what I'm reading, listening to, and watching around the web. To get What Works Weekly delivered to your inbox each Thursday, go to explorewhatworks.com weekly. I want to kind of shift gears just a tiny bit because I think where we are in the conversation leads us very well into one of the other values that you talked about, which was care. Um, we've heard a lot so far about how you are caring for yourself um, in the work, in unlearning. Um, and I think those, obviously, those things are incredibly important to a human first approach. But I'm also really curious about how you've built care into your business when it comes to either your team or your customers. Um, let's start with customers and clients. Um, you have programs where people are digging into this, this kind of work, these kinds of questions. Um, and I'm sure they need to put a lot of energy into self-belief as well. I'm sure that they need to ask some really deep questions and unlearn a lot of things. I'd love to hear how you structure your programs or how you even think about what you're offering through that lens of care so that your clients have what they need to actually be able to do the work. Yeah. So a few things come to mind. And the first is that old adage of show, don't tell. I participate in my programs alongside all of my clients. And so, you know, for example, my community tend, which is a nine month long program about identifying, honoring and advocating for your needs. In that Facebook group, I put up a daily prompt that, you know, it's usually pretty simple, but it, it just directs you back to remembering I'm a human. I'm a human with needs. I'm, you know, where am I in the sea of things that I'm doing? And I respond to those prompts myself every day, like as, as openly and truthfully and vulnerably as I can. And, you know, I think that that's the first of all, I'll say that's a really hard thing for me to do because, because I, my perfectionism wants me to be the capital T teacher and wants me to, <laughs> you know, show up like I totally have myself together and part of that unlearning is really honoring the cyclical nature of any kind of self-work and knowing that it's not something that you do once and then you put on a shelf. It's not something that we, you know, get to the end of our journey and we're like, yay, I'm healed now. But instead, it's this continued self-inquiry and 
that's something that I believe on a value basis and something that I work in. And I think it really helps people to drop into their own individual journeys because they don't feel like, oh, you know, I'm, I have to work hard and then I'll get to, you know, like where Mara is. Um, instead, it, it brings in that my own intention, which is that we're all walking alongside one another. And I've created this experience and, um, you know, have a lot of experience in doing this work, but I'm doing the work too. I'm taking my own medicine too. And I do my best whenever we, whenever I'm teaching a class or, you know, whenever we're working together to really share from my own experience in a, uh, unfiltered way and also give space for participants to share their own experience, knowing that each and every one of us is the expert to our own experience and our own bodies and our own lives. And, you know, I, I am excellent at creating structures that help people navigate these questions where before they may have felt like they were floundering or it was really scary to wait in there alone but it is just that it's a structure, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm not at all interested in um, giving fully formed solutions and saying like, here, what worked for me is going to work for everybody, or this is going to work for you perfectly. But instead, returning people again and again and again and again and again to themselves. Mm-hmm. Like, How does that feel for you? What do you think? Because the more that each of us can build our relationship with ourselves you know, that's the thing that's going to uh, support us in the the long run over the course of our lives. So um, I intentionally work that into my programs. And, and it's funny, you know, because it requires a lot of reminders. Because if it's not something that you're doing consistently, then, you know, even if you don't mean it to, it's like, all of a sudden, they're like, well, what do you think? Right. You're like, no, 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 wait. <laughs> what, what do you think? They're like, I want to know what you think. I'm like, I want to know what you think. And so, you know, that's a practice too, is keeping that in mind. And, um, and yeah, I mean, you know, the two things that I mentioned before about the deadlines and also enjoying the experience, that's really essential in my programs. You know, they have full permission. The, the, content is created so that they can jump back in at any point without having to go through everything that they quote unquote missed. Mm -hmm. And that's really meaningful for me. I don't want anyone to feel like they, you know, are snowed in under a mountain of assignments before they can join us for a call. And I remind them that daily (laughs) as often (laughs) as possible. Um, Because I, you know, that's that again is true to, to cultivating a relationship with ourselves. Like there's so many t- moments to begin again. You could begin again right now. You could begin again later today. You know, we get scared when we think oh, I have all of this work to do before I can show up to my meeting with myself again. And, you know, I want to unravel some of that. Yeah, I think the reminders piece is huge, uh, both from sort of a self-care perspective, but also from a like a, a, a learning care perspective. You know, I think we think that we can set a policy or state an expectation or tell people, hey, this is how it is once and they're just going to remember it or like that sets the tone for the whole rest of the program. Um, and we all know like 
because we've all done New Year's resolutions. Like you can't just say something once and it stick and it stick, right? It do- once doesn't change behavior. It doesn't change those internalized messages. And so something as simple as those daily reminders or or at least regular reminders helps us actually make change. Um, I love that. Timelines you had mentioned was one of the things that you are really conscious of for yourself around slowing down and, and being realistic about those things. How do you approach uh, the the time frame of your programs? You mentioned the content people can move in and out of. How do you set the the time frame for the container that you're building for those programs? So for 10, it's a nine month program. Mm -hmm. And I liked it because I just had a baby and I was thinking about, you know, it's like a gestational time where you're Mm -hmm. birthing a new version of yourself. But I also like to have longer programs where people get to practice an essential skill, which is losing their way and finding themselves again. Mm -hmm. Because I think that, you know, and I've done shorter programs and I probably will again, but In a shorter program, it's too easy to have your own back, stay by your own side for three months, and then the program's over, and poof, where did that go? So with Tend, I, what I love and, you know, teach about a lot is that we're always in that process of losing and finding ourselves, and the the core skill that's kind of underneath everything that we're learning in Tend is that piece of, well, where do I go when I run away? You know, what do I need in that space? How can I go find myself and bring myself back? And those relational skills of being with that discomfort of like, oh, God, you know, I said I was going to do this thing. I did not do this thing. Now I feel, you know, mad, sad, shame. Uh, and it makes me want to just keep running in the opposite direction. Well, you know, how can I meet myself in that place and really be kind to myself? Because that old voice is, yeah, you mess it up. You mess everything up. There's why even bother? Why even try? And we're so practiced in that way of relating to ourselves that a fun, fundamental skill to my work is that piece of like, I go to find myself. It feels so bad here. How can I be with that and bring myself back? And also, you know, how can I lower my expectations of myself so that I can actually meet them? Because I think Mm -hmm. that too often, that's the problem with a New Year's resolution. First of all, we choose New Year's resolutions that we think are the right things to choose, not what we actually want, which is a whole other problem. But you know, we make them too big. And then, you know, January 2nd comes and we have to deliver and we're scared to a place of inaction. So, you know, having those, uh, really understanding why you want something and also having it be responsive. If, you know, going for a walk for an hour every single day is way too much, can you do less? And again, dealing with the shame. You know, I had to grapple with my own shame around movement for such a long time because I was not able to do what I thought I should do. And so I did nothing and doing nothing felt horrible, but I couldn't let myself just do five minutes or 10 minutes. I felt so much Mm -hmm. shame that, you know, it was embarrassing that that was all I could do. And, and there was 
that was such a big obstacle. And so I think that when we can work with that discomfort and really be more kind and generous to ourselves, then we have this opportunity to make a lot more headway, even if we're moving more slowly. Yeah, I love that. I love that. Um, I want to stick with care for a little bit while longer here and hear how you incorporate care into the internal workings of your business. So not just the space that you create for yourself to do the work or the space that you create for your clients to do the work, um, but the actual processes and procedures and planning that you put into the business. How does care manifest there? Well, I would say even developing this back end has been (laughs) some major care for me because I've been in business for nine years and until last year, I didn't have anyone really working with me at all uh, or very minimally. (laughs) And it wasn't until this year that I really had a significant um, operations behind my Mm -hmm. business, like the last three months even. So. You know, because I was stuck in that place of it seems like so much work to make that happen Mm -hmm. and to figure out how to explain to people what I'm looking for. I might as well just do it all myself, which was hard. Um, So I would say first that it's a major act of care to myself to even have a team. And um, second of all, you know, I think having a team is new and hard for me. Uh, Mm -hmm. I find it really challenging to ask for help and also to receive it. That's like a real edge for me that I'm working with this year. And something that is so important to me is to bring that human first element into it, which means, as I said at the beginning, like it can be inconvenient. It's like, how do we both hold Mm. that, you know, kind of dream for excellence where my clients are getting everything that they need. Everything, you know, looks the way that I want it to look and it's beautiful and it's useful and it's functional and it's all working. And the fact that, you know, you're, you're working with and supported by real life humans who have real life Mm -hmm. lives (laughs) and things happen. And so, you know, I had a launch last year where, Everyone who worked for me was having a really hard time for totally different reasons. And it, it, it meant that, you know, deadlines got moved out. And I think that's one of those things where, you know, just again, being with yourself in the discomfort. It's like, I hate this. (laughs) I I want everything to be according to a plan. And also I value this. You know, it doesn't, it's so often we think like, oh, well, I'm standing behind my values and that feels right and good. It's most often I'm standing behind my values being like the planner in me is running around with my head just like screaming. But but I do believe in this. Yeah. But I want to offer to people what I want every person in this world to receive, which is time to grieve, space to grieve, you know, able to be the human that you are without worrying about your income, all of those kinds of things. And, you know, how is that baked into my business model? And a lot of times it means things move more slowly than the perfectionist in my head would like. Um, And for me, just coming to peace with the fact that she cannot run the show, like that is, that is a micro version of a macro problem. And, you know, I can tolerate my own discomfort. Mm. The idea that standing in your values is not 
comfortable is, well, first off, hashtag relatable. (laughs) Second, I think that that's probably going to be really eye-opening for a lot of people because I guess, I guess even like just objectively, if, if values are easy to realize, then are they really values at all? Um, are they, are you really standing for something if, if it's easy? Uh, which is not to say that they, there can't be ease there, but easy, comfortable, maybe not. I don't know. Um, it's a really, it's a really interesting question and it, and it mirrors some of the things I've been thinking a lot about lately as well. One of the things that I really wanted to ask you about is sort of how I see your values playing out through the narrative of your brand. And as I have been following your work over the years, two words that really stick out to me as part of your brand narrative is softness and power. And I'm curious if those words resonate with you um, and if that's intentional or if it's something that has just sort of happened. Talk to me about how you relate to to the sort of dichotomy of softness and power. Well, I take it as a huge compliment <laughs> that, <laughs> that you saw that in my work. Um, and I, I think that believing that softness can be powerful has been a real learning experience for me. And, you know, really understanding what self-leadership looks like, what leadership within my business, within my life looks like has, um, has been such a journey. I mean, you know, what we're taught about leadership is that that softness is just gets completely run over. And so, you know, one of the reasons why we relegate our needs to the periphery of our lives is because we don't want to show weakness. We don't want people to think we can't hack it. Or, you know, I see this in in my business, like, if I act like I don't, you know, for a second, don't have it all together, who's going to hire me? Who wants a coach that doesn't have it all together? But, and we are the humans that we are, we have the needs that we have. And so, you know, I, I do work that into um, my business intentionally, because I believe that those soft parts of our lives and that approach um, is really extraordinary and necessary and healing for so many of us. And it's really tricky. It's a, it's a zone for me that has a lot of false stories and, and beliefs and narratives wrapped up in it. And so I think, you know, I do my best to show that you can be a human and also, you know, do things, get things done. Um, and that that's enough and that you don't have to be, you know, shouting or knowing every, every answer because yeah, it's amazing how we are conditioned with that belief of, you know, you have to know right off the cuff, absolutely everything. You have to do it right the first time or, you know, you don't have no business being here. Uh, You have to kind of be pulled together in a certain way. And, you know, especially since I had my kids, I'm just not pulled together in that way. You know, I I had a friend recently say, like, I don't know if I could have done it for the last five years. You had these babies, you were 
basically, I mean, today is like the second day of full-time care for them ever in five years. And, you know, mostly I felt like I didn't, I was exhausted and hormonal and doing the best that I can. (laughs) And that was for a perfectionist so extremely vulnerable, but also there has to be room for that. You know, there is power in that. And the more that we allow people to see us as we are, even when that is really embarrassing or humbling or vulnerable or awkward, um, the more space, you know, I always say in my business that permission loves company. And, you know, the more that we allow people to see us as we are, the more that that permission, uh, the ripple effect of that permission happens. So I think it's really important, but ugh, it can be brutal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Again, hashtag relatable. Um, I also value transparency and vulnerability and um, just admitting when I screw things up or when I've learned something that maybe I should have learned a long time ago, but that I just learned recently. Um, That stuff is all really important to me. And also, I notice myself trying to figure out when I can do those things and when I need to be the have it all put together leader, coach, strategist, uh, community builder. And that right now for me is, is sort of a constant struggle. Um, and it involves a lot of energy to kind of navigate that. And so I'm curious for you if you've got if there is any separation or if there's anything like, I guess what I'm trying to say is, how do you know when you've been too transparent or if you're going to be too transparent or like, what does that look like for you? Yeah. So I find that when I think I've been too transparent, usually people get a lot of value out of that. And (laughs) I try to let myself, I first of all, love when you're transparent. Um, You know, so I try to just be with myself in that place Mm -hmm. and be like, oh, gosh, I just said that thing. Um, But also, I really over the course of the last couple of years have made an effort to make sure that I am getting my needs met on a larger basis Mm -hmm. so that, you know, but I mean, it's not complicated, but things like my blood sugar being, you know, drinking more water than coffee, uh, getting enough rest whenever possible, but also things like I get acupuncture, um, often, I do a lot for my nervous system, which I found over the course Mm -hmm. of this pandemic has just been zapped. Um, And I find that when I am well resourced, it is much easier for me to respond from a grounded place versus a off the cuff place. Mm. And, you know, where I get into trouble with myself is when I am reacting when my feelings have been hurt or um, where I'm really having an emotional reaction to something. And so I found the more that I can do to resource myself, it's like it gives me about this much space. I'm I'm holding up my fingers to show like an inch (laughs) of space. And in that space, I can say, you know, do I want to respond to this right now? 
or do I want to leave it for a little bit? And so that is the one thing that I do utilize is, you know, if it's an email or it's a Instagram post or a response or something like that, if I'll write it up and then I'll go away and I'll give myself a little bit of space and I'll come back and I'll, you know, check in with myself about how it feels. And again, turning it towards myself, finding my own line between this is okay and it is important and I'm really uncomfortable, typically because I don't have the right words or I feel like I don't have the right words and I Mm -hmm. don't want, you know, I can see all of the nuance of an issue and I don't want to say the wrong thing. But it's important for me to say something. So where is that that edge versus I actually need to learn more about this before I respond or, you know, this is about me and I can deal with it myself or on my own time. Um, But, you know, the more resource that I am and, you know, the number one thing for me is really is my blood sugar. Like making sure I'm eating over the course of the day, which when I started my business, I did not do. Yeah. And now I do. And then it it impacts my my just internal resource and my nervous system's ability to um even ask these questions of like, is this what I actually want to say? Or is this, you know, is this striking the right tone? Um But, you know, not hiding during those moments where you're like, actually, I do want to say this and I do want to say something and I don't have the right Mm -hmm. words and I'm probably going to have to come back and eat this later and say, I should have known better, but I didn't have the right words. I'm going to learn more about that. All of the things that my perfectionist just like patently hates. Um, But, you know, I don't know. I find that those conversations are happening more and more often. And the more resourced I am, the more that I, again, I can sit in that discomfort being like, I, this is right and good for me right now, even if it feels really bad and Mm. that's okay. Yeah, absolutely. Um, As we start to wrap up, I want to ask you about things that maybe you've chosen not to do (laughs) that seem like shoulds or supposed tos because of the work that you've done on embodying your values through your business? Are there choices that you've made, opportunities that you've given up in order to really build those values, operationalize your values into your business? Yeah. So in the self-help world, the line between the self-help industry and the diet industry is like Mm. razor thin, if it exists at all. And so... There have been a lot of times when I have had to turn down things because because they just are not in alignment with my values. And mm-hmm. um, a lot of those have been like great and lucrative and interesting and and also really misunderstood mm-hmm. by people on the other side who are like, oh no, but oh no, but I'm like, oh no, but you know, the diet industry is hugely damaging and i can i can personally and professionally have no part in it um but yeah there there have been moments from that perspective also things you know where i'm invited to things and it's clear that the entire panel on an event is white or mm-hmm. straight or male except for you know me where Again, usually not very appreciated. I've said no and said, you know, these are the reasons why. And here are some amazing people that you might think of for this event. Um, So usually it's that kind of thing. 
sometimes it's just like saying no to something that's clearly really committed to hustle culture. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, my ego might really want to take part in it. And it may like seduce and delight me. And I, I have to say, you know, realize, take a step back and realize it's not going to be sustainable for me, but also it's not in alignment overall with that human first perspective. And finally, it's like, I cap my calendar for things Mm -hmm. and for my own just mental health and well-being. And sometimes something really awesome comes in and I very rarely will figure out how to make it work. But usually, you know, I have to keep that commitment to myself about like, okay, well, you know, my books for October are just full and I can't do it. It's either going to have to be after or it's going to have to be a no, even if I really want to just squeeze it in or, or say no to something that I've already said yes to that I would never do that. That's really... That's like when you have a friend who calls you up to say she got a better offer to hang out with another friend and yeah. not going to not going to be that friend. No. <laughs> not at all. <laughs> Mara, what are you excited about right now? I am really excited about um over the course of the last year in my program cycle, I have been making a quarterly planner. I'm a planner person Mm. and I've been making them a quarterly planner and getting it printed and working on it for myself. Uh, And I just am working on, I just got the the swatches, the paper swatches, which is just for a stationary geek like me, just Christmas um, for creating a paper planner for all of 2022, which I'm excited about. That is very exciting. Mark Latzel, thank you so much for this really wonderful conversation for being a human with us and for sharing how you've operationalized your values in your business. Oh, thanks for having me. It's so wonderful to get to hang with you. One of the highlights in my notes from my conversation with Mara was toward the end there when she mentioned that she makes sure she's well-resourced. She said, when I'm well-resourced, it's easier to respond from a grounded place. When she's well-resourced, she's less reactionary. That certainly rings true for me, too. My hypothesis is that most of us are under-resourced. Our needs are not all getting met. We've created working conditions that don't support a measured, creative, or disruptive way of doing business according to our values. So maybe, and I think Mara would probably agree here, the first step toward operationalizing your values is ensuring that your needs are met. Rest, water, food that satisfies you, love, safety, And then you can dream up ways of doing business that truly fulfill your values, too. Find out more about Mara Glatzel at maraglatzel.com and find her podcast, Needy, wherever you listen to What Works. Next week, we'll stick with this theme of needs meeting and how it overlaps with operationalizing your values. I talk with Liz Wiltsey, the founder of the Future Proof Skills Lab, about just that. What Works is produced by Yellow House Media. Our production coordinator is Lou Blazer. Our production assistant is Emily Kilduff. Marty Seafelt edited this episode. And Sean McMullen is the weirdo who keeps our team well-resourced.